come around uh, the time today where we pray for you and for your goals, uh, for your dreams, for your hopes, uh, for your plans for this year, but more importantly, as you surrender them to God, but more importantly, we know that all of that has meaning as we surrender ourselves to God. And so I just wanted to share some thoughts on that this morning. I was really excited to hear about Bayside's uh, discipleship pathway. Uh, I think that is fantastic because that's actually the, the, uh, the essence of what I wanted to share this morning. Just in a, just in a few thoughts, uh, the, the topic of discipleship is a huge one and there's so many books that have been written on it. I, you almost need to be a disciple of discipleship to actually understand it fully, I think. But um, so, so really, these are just thoughts, not, a, not a, an exhaustive teaching on it at all, um, and only just for a few minutes, and then we're going to, we're going to pray for you. Uh, I've done some marketing studies as well, and if I, was, uh, if I was to think about the title of this weekend, I wouldn't choose surrender. It's not the most glamorous terms, is it? You know, surrender. Who wants to do that? It's so countercultural. Everything in our culture speaks the opposite of surrender, and yet in God we find that often it's those things where the power of uh, his, his son and of his resurrection truly lies. So surrender. I'd pick a different term if I was marketing it, but it's so much like God just to have something like that. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, the Bible says, and in due season he will lift you up. Wow, how popular would that be? in our pop culture today. Not very. You wouldn't get many sales, would you, if you're selling a product called Surrender? No. It'd still be on the shelf, I think. <laughs> anyway, um, the reason why I wanted to chat about uh, discipleship this morning is because uh, I don't think we necessarily have an evangelism problem in Australia. I think we have a discipleship problem. Uh, we look at the, the, the Bureau of Statistics, Statistics that they release on religion in Australia and uh, it's as we uh, have increased migration and our society's changed and, and our culture's changed, the percentage of people that call themselves Christians has really declined as a portion of our community. It's gone from over 72% in about 1996, I think it was, or 86, uh, to now just over 50%, 52%. Uh, and if I think of my extended family, they're part of that story. My, my aunties and uncles would all describe themselves as Anglicans, and I love Anglicans. I have... No challenges with Anglicans, but, but they, when it comes to filling out the census, would put Christian down. But when I, when I look at their lives, they are not necessarily active Christians. You know, it's just over, I think, 9% of Australians, 9%, 8% of Australians attend church monthly, uh, at least monthly, and that's what they call someone who's a regular church attender. So between 8% and 52% is the discipleship gap, I would say. And then there may even be a gap in the 8% that attend church uh, at least monthly. Perhaps they're attending for some other reason than uh, being a follower of Jesus. There might be social reasons, there might be guilt reasons, there might be all sorts of things that they might attend church uh, rather than discipleship. So, so there's quite a big discipleship gap that we have within this country. So I think, imagine if the 52% were attending church at least monthly. Wow, wouldn't our society look different? Imagine if 52% were attending weekly. Oh my goodness. We'd need to build more buildings. I, um, I've got a confession to make. I cry often. But it's not for the reason you might think. I often drive through our suburbs, and, and uh, I think I've said it before, but I, I work during the week at the Churches of Christ, uh, and I'm in their property and finance unit. And one thing that annoys me more than anything else is closing a church. I hate that. That makes me so frustrated. Like, if there's anything that drives me to tears, it's that. 
And not that it happens that often, but I do drive around the suburbs and I see churches that have been converted into restaurants or apartments or houses or whatever. And I was driving through the suburbs yesterday and I went past one and the Spirit of God just hit me and I burst into tears as I was driving. I had to put my sunglasses on in case someone was in the car next to me thinking, what's going on there? Because that really gets me. That really gets me. And so part of, part of that emotion in me about the trend that's been happening in our society is, is what has birthed this message this morning, even though I wrote it before then. It's just something that burns within me that I, that I want to change. And I don't know how to change it, but I want to change it. And, uh, and I think a big part of it is what we're doing this morning in bringing ourselves before God and, uh, and just committing our year to him and, uh, and just allowing God to move in our lives so that we can be great reflections of Jesus in our community and, uh, and people can catch a glimpse of what it's like to be a follower of Christ. Amen? Amen, because there's only 8% of us doing it. So if it's not us, who is it? It's got to be us. So I'm, I'm so glad that you're here this morning to be prayed for and to release the power of God in your lives. Matthew uh, chapter 28 verses 19 to 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age, Jesus said. Now, it's really interesting that he didn't say, go and make believers of all nations. He didn't say, just, you know, get someone to put their hand up at the end of a service, which is awesome. I'm so glad I did that as well. Um, he, didn't, he didn't ask us to accept the teachings of Jesus. He, he didn't ask us to uh, accept that he was a historical figure. You know, there's all sorts of things that people say, but, but, uh, but he said, make disciples. That was his commission to the church, make disciples. So the question would be, what is a disciple? Well, if you sign up to Bayside's five-step pathway of discipleship, you will find out, I'm sure. So make sure you do that, all right? But uh, the word in the, in the, in, in the Greek is, uh, is a word that implies a learner. So someone who, uh, who is a student, someone who is perhaps an apprentice might be a better word for it, an apprentice. And I think sometimes when it comes to theological education, we can get it wrong because we send people to the classroom and church doesn't happen in a classroom. You can learn lots of great things in a classroom. Uh, you can learn uh, Greek you can learn Hebrew, you can learn all of the ologies, Christology, Soteriology, Pneumatology, all of those things. You can learn all of the ologies. But one thing people don't learn in Bible college is how to pastor a church. They don't learn how to balance a budget. They don't learn how to teach people to prophesy or hear from God. They don't learn all those basic things of how to lead a person to Christ. And a disciple does that. Because a disciple is a follower of Jesus. And if we look at the life of Jesus, he, he prayed for the sick and they were healed. There's not many Bible colleges that teach that. He gave incredible insights into people's lives that unlocked their heart towards God and created disciples. And yet we don't see many Bible colleges teaching that. Jimmy, I know you're at Bible college. I'm not looking at you this morning. <laughs> <laughs> because I've been to Bible college as well, and it's great. But, uh, but for the everyday practical stuff, it's learnt through an apprenticeship. You think about how we train carpenters, how we train electricians, how we train plumbers. 
you every day by walking into your house are expressing faith in the apprenticeship system. Amen? Because it was built by people, well, we hope it's been built by people who have been apprenticed. All right, if not, <laughs> yeah, we won't think about that. But that's the reality of it, isn't it? You learn on the job, you spend some time in the classroom, but you learn on the job. And the quality of your instructor and the person you're standing beside when you do the job is really important. And I think the Christian life is like that. Be careful who disciples you, right? Make sure that person has the Word of God burning in their heart. Make sure they embrace the activity and the, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Make sure they've got nothing dodgy going on. And allow the wisdom that comes from someone who's walked the journey to fill you as you outwork that with others. Amen? Amen. An apprenticeship, not a classroom. Classrooms are good, but apprenticeships in a pastoral church sense are much more effective, I believe. A disciple is someone who goes deep. They learn from the Word. They develop a living and vibrant relationship with Jesus. And to make disciples, we need to be a disciple. Amen? So that's the challenge for many of us, to be a continual learner of the kingdom of God, to grow in our knowledge of the Word of God, to understand the nature of God and His Holy Spirit. If you have your Bible here this morning, or your iBible, your iDevice, um, can you... Open it up in a much more effective way than me this morning. There we go. Now it's open. It's asking me if I love the Bible app. Would I like to rank, rate the Bible app? <laughs> Remind me later. Do I love the Bible app? Yes, I love the Bible app. Oh, and now it's asking me again. No thanks. <laughs> okay. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 11. A paper-based Bible doesn't do that to you. <laughs> Okay, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, we're going to read uh, through to uh, chapter 6, verse 3, just a few verses. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truth of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who, by constant use, have trained themselves to distinguish uh, good from evil. Therefore, chapter 6, verse 1, Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites or baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, and God permitting we will do so. I love that passage of Scripture because it's, it's, to me, it says that unless we make an effort to grow and mature and progress, it won't happen automatically. Paul, who I believe is the writer of Hebrews, but he might not be, but, but Paul, for the sake of, of today, is encouraging the Hebrew uh, believers to get a move on. They've stayed as young infants sucking on milk, and yet he's saying you should be on solid food. So... Where are all our mums today? How long is an infant on milk? It can depend, right? But not too long. Maybe only a few months. And then, uh, and then they progress to solid food, maybe a combination of both, and then finally, eventually, solid food. Imagine if you're an 18-year-old still on mother's milk. No. 
Not good. In fact, the neighbours, everyone else, family, they'd all be saying something about it, saying, time to move on, solid food, right? So it is with the writer of Hebrews here, talking to the Hebrews, he's saying, hey, you've, you've been followers of Christ for quite some time now, but you're still on milk, you need to, you know, progress to solid food, start taking in some of the bigger issues of what it means to be a follower of Christ. I've got three examples this morning. Now, now, I haven't been to primary school for some time. And, uh, and, and looking around, there are some who are in my company who haven't been to primary school for some time. But you might remember that, uh, that if you didn't learn uh, the things you needed to learn in that year level, you didn't progress to the next year level, right? right you would stay. The teachers would say, sorry, needs to stay down and, uh, and do it again until you get the hang of it and then you can progress. Now, if that was applied to the church world... I wonder what it would look like. I wonder if we all sat in year levels and we had prep over here and then grade one and two and three and four and five and six and then I don't know where the high schoolers would be. They might be out the back causing trouble. But, but anyway, but we'll start with prep anyway. I, I wonder how many bearded preppies we'd have in church life, right? There could be quite a few bearded preppies. We, we make that decision to get saved and that's it. No more. Ah, saved, going to heaven. Got my eternal insurance policy. And now I'm just going to hang out over here with all the preppies or wherever the preppies are sitting. They might be over here. I don't know. Maybe they're at the back. Maybe they're down the front learning. I don't know. But, uh, but we could have bearded preppies. We could have really young grade sixes because someone commits their life to Christ and just is so hungry for the word and thirsty for the word that they can't get enough of it and they devour it day and night and they motor through primary school. And so they, they've just been... Just saved, but now they're in grade six because they've just devoured the Word of God. So there's no time constraint on it, but, but it's an interesting example. And Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. But I, I love that, that part. Let the Word of God dwell in you richly. Yeah. In fact... Why don't we turn to Colossians chapter 3 in just the, the few moments that we have left. Colossians chapter 3. And let's read from verse 12 because verse 12 through to 17 really paints a wonderful picture of Christian life. And uh, if we were disciples, if we are disciples, then we'll be seeing this showing up in our life. Verse 12 of Colossians chapter 3 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people... Holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has done a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all, these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. Amen. Well, if we're financially rich, we'd have a bank account with lots of dollars in it 
And whenever a financial need comes along, we could reach into that account and pull out some dollars and meet the, meet the bill when it comes along, right? If the Word of God dwells in us richly, then we've got a Word account. And whenever the challenges of life, you know, the Bible speaks about the storms of life. Whenever they come along, or whenever the cares of the world tend to grab our attention and maybe try to steal our heart, the Word of God is there. And we can reach into our Word account and bring out the Scripture because it dwells in us richly. And we can learn how to respond to the storms of life and the cares of this world so we can be followers of Jesus. Amen. Example number two, the parable of the sower. Many of you will know it, so I won't read it, but Matthew chapter 13. And uh, the seed that fell on good soil grew roots. It grew roots into the soil, so it remained. When the cares of this life, they didn't choke it. The storms of this life or persecution didn't steal it away. So when we face challenges, such as sickness, might be work problems, might be relationship issues, we can draw on the word of God if it's dwelling in us richly so we can still be standing at the end of the day. I, um, it's one of, the, one of the realities of Christian life that when, when people go through hard times, whether it's a divorce, whether it's a, an illness, whether it's the loss of a family member, which are tragic events, um, but it can, really, it can really rock someone's faith. And if that word hasn't been planted deeply in their heart, it can actually knock them out of the race. Right, you see people all the time disillusioned because of things that have happened and they thought it would never happen to them. But that word wasn't deep in their heart enough to carry them through. And the third example is the Bereans in Acts chapter 17. The writer of Acts, Luke, describes the Bereans as being of more noble character because when the disciples came or the apostles came and they shared the message of Christ, they didn't instantly reject it like a lot of other uh, Jewish believers did, but they took time to investigate the scriptures and to learn and to find out whether what the apostles were saying was true. And the Bible describes them as being more noble character. And that should be true for us too, because there's a lot flying around in today's world. There's a lot of things said about the gospel. There's a lot of things said about the kingdom of God. There's a lot of things said about Christians. There's a lot of, uh, uh, what would I say, humanistic theology creeping into the church. And we need to be able to grab hold of that and to measure it up against the Word of God and understand whether it's right, whether it's wrong, whether it's slanted, whatever the case might be. And then we're being presented like never before with uh, changing social issues. And as believers, we need to know how to rightly apply the Word of God to each of those situations. Amen? So that uh, we can continue to be disciples and followers of Christ. So, to be a disciple is important. We need to become knowledgeable about the Bible. But before we pray today, can I ask you to add one thing to your list today, if you have it here, with your goals and plans for 2020, and that is to increase your discipleship uh, and your followership of Jesus. Amen? Amen. There's a couple of ways you can do it, just very, uh, very practically. Read the Bible in a year, or at least read the New Testament. Make a commitment to read the New Testament through this year or if you can, the whole Bible. There's a great podcast by Nikki Gumbel, the creator of the Alpha Course, uh, called The Bible in One Year. I don't know if any of you are already listening to that. Great resource. All you've got to do is put it on on the train or in your car or wherever it might be, and you get through the Bible in a year. Join a Connect group. Sign up to our five steps. Listen to podcasts. Read books and learn how to study the Bible. Do Bible exegesis. Be careful who you lead from. Make sure they're saved, spirit-filled, Jesus-focused, because not all theologians are Christian. 
Isn't that a crazy thought? Speaking to one of the directors um, or board members of the Baptist Union in New South Wales late last year, and his wife's a theologian. She went to a theological conference, and she came back shaking her head, and she said, I reckon half the people in that room weren't Christians. They were just studying it as an academic exercise. So when you read your, Bible stu- your study Bible notes, read them, take them with a grain of salt, ask yourself, does it match up to the word of Christ? Amen? Amen. Amen.